Well, when you think of family, what comes to mind? Maybe for some of you, it's an emotion. It's uh, joy, fun, laughter. Maybe family looks like this first picture up on the screen. Maybe when you think of family, that's kind of the picture that you imagine, a mom, a dad, their kid, uh, all that fun. Maybe you feel more like this next family. And for you, that is exactly what family feels like on most days. It's chaos, things never going as planned. And don't worry, nothing happened to them, by the way. I made sure to check before I used it. Maybe you think of holidays and traditions. Christmas was just a while ago. So maybe you, you know, think of joy when you think of your family. And joy doesn't always, you know, look the way we think it should look. Um, But maybe that to you is what family looks like. Maybe to you, family is super connected. Um, Everyone loves each other. Everyone gets along. Everyone's smiling. This is a fake picture, by the way. (laughs) They don't look like that. Uh, But maybe that is something that you feel like, man, that, that feels like my family. We love being together. We love spending time together. Or maybe you're the parents of teenagers, and this is, you know, your family picture, which I feel like the kids were in on when they decided to put their parents in front of them so they could continue checking Snapchat or Facebook, whatever it is that they're looking at. But what if I told you today that regardless of what your current family looks like, whether it is uh, loving or connected, whether you feel like it is separate and broken, what, what if I told you that there is a bigger family we could all be a part of? And what if that family is life-giving and kingdom-enhancing and diverse and multi-generational and multi-ethnic? What if when we thought of family, we didn't just think about the group of people that we were born to? What if instead, when we heard the word family, we started thinking of the group of people that we were born again into? If you're new here, my name is Brendan Anderson. I'm the youth pastor here at Element, and I'm super excited to be giving the message to you guys Today, But before we jump in, I just wanted to let you guys know that next week, Pastor Jeff is starting a brand new sermon series called 2020. And with the new year, a lot of us are making goals and coming up with a vision for what we want to accomplish this year. And in this series, Pastor Jeff is going to be using scripture to equip, challenge, and inspire us to not just have a clear vision for the year, but to have 2020, a clear vision for your entire life. So there are some invite cards on your guys' way out. I highly encourage you, take one of those cards, invite somebody to come with you back to church next week. Regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, I think some of the principles that Pastor Jeff's going to be walking us through are super applicable to literally anybody's life, but especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians. But today, I want to talk to you guys about church family. And it's something that over the past year has become very near and dear to my heart. It's become so important in my life. And this idea that family could be bigger and deeper and richer and more fulfilling, it's never actually been something that I've ever thought about before. I guess maybe because I just, I didn't see the need of it or or I bought into something early on in my adolescence that, that made me think differently. I think in America, we have this idea of what family is. And for the majority of us, for most of us, we grow up thinking that it is the spouse, the dog, the 2.5 kids, and how you get 0.5 of a kid, I'm not real positive. Um, it probably depends on how often you like the kid, and that's how, <laughs> how much of the kid you bring to the table. 
And listen, I, I bought into that. I mean, hook, line, and sinker. I grew up, when I graduated high school, I got married directly after graduating high school. And I'm not talking like later in the year after graduating. I'm talking two days after I graduated high school. I was married, and uh, about a year later, I had my first daughter. Her name's Henley. She's six now. A couple years later, we had another daughter. Her name's Phelan. She's four. I had two dogs. I have one cat. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I do have a cat. Uh, and from the outside... From the outside, it looked like I knew what it meant to be family. From the outside, it looked like I knew how to do family well. And if I'm being honest with you guys, pridefully on the inside, it felt like I knew how to do family. And I thought that I knew how to do family well. And it felt that way for a long time, uh, up until last year when my wife and I divorced. And all of a sudden... Uh, the family I knew and thought was perfect was not anymore. And uh, what I thought God wanted for me and and wanted for my life and and desired for me to pursue, it wasn't exactly clear anymore. So this past year has just been this journey for me of him revealing and teaching me what it can look like, what scripture presents to us, what church family, spiritual family really means. And I want to be honest, I think that there are some things that we have sorely missed. I think that uh, our youth are believing things and buying into things that are not true. And there is this incredible opportunity that is passing before us to be the light to people around us in this world, to show them something different. So today I get to ask this big question with you guys. It's going to be up on the screens. It's this, what do I need to know about family? What do I need to know about God's family. The main scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And I'm just going to give a quick disclaimer right at the top of this. What we're talking about today cannot fit into one 35-minute sermon. It just, it can't. You could do an entire series. You could do an entire summer all based around what it means to be family, specifically church family or spiritual family. So please don't take what I'm saying today as your final word on this subject, because I'm not even an expert. Like, I'm, I'm on this journey with you guys. Um, but maybe think of this more as a springboard into the new year. I hope that instead you take this and it begins making you rethink or, or realize what being family could really look like. And if you're here today and you don't believe in God, I cannot tell you how excited I am that you have chosen this Sunday to be here, not just because I'm preaching and I only do it a few times a year, but more than that, there is nowhere else I would rather you be than here at church. And I want you to know that you don't have to believe anything that I say up here to keep attending Element, that regardless of what you believe, you will always be welcomed and always loved when you come here. But I do want you to know that I believe in Jesus, and I believe that his word, the Bible, lays out the best way to live our lives. So there are some things today that you could disagree with me on. Honestly, if we're being honest, there are some Christians today that are going to disagree with me on some of the things that I say, but I hope today you'll hear me out. Because even if you're not a Christian, the way the Bible portrays and lays out family is so incredibly compelling and life-giving. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two. If you forgot your Bible today, all of the verses, everything we're gonna read today, it's gonna be up on the screens for you to follow along with. If you have your phone, you can follow along in the Version Bible app, search Element Church in the events, and you can find us there as well and follow along. And if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one absolutely free. Stop out in the lobby at the guest services desk and just ask for a Bible. They'll give you one absolutely free for you to take home to start off the new year right. So as some of you are turning to Ephesians, I want to give us some background, a little bit of context to the book. It was written by a guy that we call the Apostle Paul. And he used to persecute Christians until he experienced an encounter with Jesus. And then he went from persecuting Christians to preaching and helping convert people to Christianity. We call him one of the greatest missionaries for Jesus because Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament in our Bibles. Ephesians, in particular, was written as a letter to a church in the town of Ephesus. And while a lot of Paul's letters were written to address like a certain heresy that was being preached or something that was happening at a church that needed to stop happening, and so he was like writing a letter of like, get your poop in a group kind of letters. That is not what Ephesians is, all right? Ephesians, they were actually doing really well. And so this letter was of encouragement written to the believers that were attending this church. And we're going to be reading towards the end of chapter two in the book. Um, And leading up to those verses, Paul has been explaining to the church that everyone inside, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile, and a Gentile was just anybody who wasn't a Jew, so basically all of us were Gentiles back then, that regardless of who they were, that we were all reconciled to God through Jesus. And so there was this huge animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles because, you know, Jews didn't like them and they didn't like the Jews and there was all this fighting and just, uh, it was awful. But what Paul was saying is like, hey, all of that is gone because what you have done will never be enough for yourself. That's why God sent Jesus and he brings all of us to God together. And so we're gonna pick it up in verse 19 and it says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So what do I need to know about God's family? Well, number one is this, we are God's family. So I want us to remember that when it came to God, the Gentiles always felt excluded. Because of the Jewish faith, their laws and their customs and what they believed in, it kind of had a way of separating the Gentiles from themselves, it kept them separate. But Jesus came in and he reconciled everyone to God. He said, it doesn't matter how you were born, who you are, like you, if you believe in me, you are brought to my family. And so Paul telling the Gentiles that like, hey, you're not a stranger anymore. You're not a foreigner anymore, that you are equal with everyone else. You are a citizen with all of God's holy people would have been huge for them. I can only imagine the belonging that this would have brought to the people attending this church, the feeling of acceptance that maybe they hadn't felt their entire life. And working with youth, that's my primary job here at the church, one of the things that I see most often is the student's desire to belong, to belong to a group, to belong to friends, to belong to a cause. I mean, literally almost just belong to anything. They're just seeking that belonging. And it is amazing, let me tell you, to see faith click with students, seeing them find that belonging, not because of what they've done or what they could do, but because of what Jesus has done for them. And I can tell you how incredible it is to see someone, to see a student who has felt outcast, who feels alone, who has felt unloved, feel wanted and find hope and love 
and belonging at church. But it goes so much deeper than just belonging somewhere. And here's where I worry we're missing it out or maybe just not taking it far enough like we see here in scripture. It doesn't just say we belong. It says that we are members of God's family. So when you believe in Jesus, you become a part of the family of God. And that has to kind of become, it's kind of become a cliche in most churches. We like to say things like church should be like a family. But for most people in most churches, it's just not true. Even after someone becomes a Christian, even after they start attending church, even if they're attending regularly, a lot of times it still doesn't feel like family. To me, the majority of churches in America feel a lot more like school. And please stay with me. I know all the youth just blocked me out for mentioning school. But, <laughs> but they're going back tomorrow, so I'm really I'm easing them into it by just <laughs> talking about it today. I think for most people, church feels a lot more like school than it does like family. You show up weekly, you typically go to the same service or, you know, school analogy, you go to the same classroom, right? And you sit by fairly familiar faces, all right? You know most of them, you know their names, you've maybe spent years with them, but uh, maybe some of them you know really well, like your best friend or or something like that. Um, But everyone else you just kind of recognize, right? You know their name, you don't know their life, you maybe wave at them in the hallway, you acknowledge them with a smile, you know, whatever that looks like. You sit in chairs, right? And you listen to the same teacher who, Jeff, if you're listening, is a really, really good teacher, right? And there are those rare occasions where you get like that super cool and fun, trendy, sort of different, but like in a really good way, substitute teacher, right? That everyone loves, and, and they talk about them for like a week, but you don't really see them often enough. So sometimes they just kind of fade into like this mythical legend status of like, do you remember when we had that one substitute? Man, I wish we would have him again. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but you don't really know the people that you go to school with. Not truly. You probably wouldn't call them family. You don't love them. Most of us would be honest and say that we don't even really like them. Not the way that God calls us to love each other, not the way that God calls Christians to be a family together. When it comes to church family, uh, he actually lays out exactly how we should be interacting with each other in Romans chapter 12. It says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them, always eager to practice hospitality. But what if that's what church actually looked like? And don't get me wrong, please understand this. I think we have an incredibly loving, incredibly hospitable church here at Element. Like, it's incredible. You walk in and you can literally feel the love that is surrounding this place on a Sunday. But when people on the outside look in, When people who are not a part of this see us, do they think to themselves, wow, that's a family? Or do they think more along the lines of, hey, they seem to like each other? But what if we actively found ways to do these things that it talks about in Romans chapter 9? Delight in honoring each other. Work hard and serve together. Rejoice together. Be patient in trouble. Pray together. I mean, what if when we were together, we were always ready to help each other, give to each other, practice hospitality with each other? What if this year we made that decision that we would serve alongside our church 
family, whether that looks like on a Sunday in a volunteer team, and maybe that's where you become a church family, is in that kind of position, or whether that's throughout the week in general. Maybe it's being a part of a small group and letting that stretch your hospitality by bringing people into your life that you typically would not bring into your life. Something that I've started doing um, just because of this past year, something that I've never been comfortable with in my entire life is letting people come into my home uh, and, and hosting family dinners, family dinners that don't actually include my like family, but is my family. And maybe that looks different for you, but when we are brought into the family of God, I think there's a stipulation and it's that intentionality piece of doing life together not just seeing each other on a Sunday, not just waving to each other in the hallways, but being together. Verse 20 in Ephesians says this, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So what do I need to know about God's family? That we are God's family, that there is a deeper belonging and call to being a Christian, that we're not just Christians, that we are brothers and sisters. And number two is this, that Christ is our example. Christ is our example. So when we come together and we become God's family, just like it says in that previous verse, it says that we are built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. So what, is, like, what does that mean, right? It means that their teaching, specifically scripture and the Bible, is what our lives should then reflect, And this is where we get our instruction. This is what we look to. This is what we follow. But the most important part, more important than any of that, is Jesus. Because we can build on the Bible. Like, we can believe the apostles' teachings. We can even read Scripture as much as we want. But if we don't have Jesus as the cornerstone, the piece that just holds everything together, it will collapse eventually. And I'm not just saying it like some building or some church that we just are a part of. I'm talking about you and I together, our relation to one another. Because this verse, and this is so cool, it doesn't say that we're going to build a house. It says we are his house. You and I together, and Jesus is the one that binds it. And so if Jesus is our cornerstone, and I believe also it goes along with this point that he is our example then I think we need to look at Jesus's life and what he had to say about family and how he lived. So in chapter three of the Gospel of Mark, which is an account of Jesus's life on earth, Jesus is in a house and he's crowded in by all these people, like swarms of people have come to hear Jesus teach. And they're all crowded into this house together and Jesus is teaching. And we're gonna pick it up in Mark 31 says this, then Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There is a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Which, by the way, I hear that from youth all the time when I tell them their parents are ready to pick them up, and they're like, who is my mom? I don't know this woman. (laughs) Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So while we walk through this section, I want to be extremely careful (laughs) because I'm not saying, and I don't believe Jesus is saying at any point not to take care of your family, not to love your family, not to do life with your family. I don't think he or I am saying any of that, okay? 
Jesus and his followers, they clearly valued natural families. Like Jesus affirming the commandments, he called people to be faithful in marriage, to honor their parents. The apostles said that it was good for most people to marry and have kids. And a lot of what was written in the Bible was written to people as wives and husbands and parents and children and siblings. Like a lot of the metaphors we get in scripture come from those family units. However, I think scripture and ultimately Jesus is trying to show us and explain to us that your family can't just be your family. It's so much wider, so much deeper, so much richer than that. Christianity and the work of the Holy Spirit, it's so much powerful than I think we actually think is possible or at least possible enough to live in. Part of that is, I believe, a new vision of what family really is, and it's not just the people related to you by blood. You see, Jesus spent three years traveling with these 12 guys and lots of other guys too, but we mainly focus in on these 12 people doing life together, having meals together, strengthening each other, encouraging one another, learning from one another. Heck, they fought with one another at a rate that would put most sibling fights to shame. And you look at the gospels and you see this family that Jesus has built around him, one that he cared deeply for, even when knowing that many of them would abandon, betray, and hurt him. At the beginning of service, we got to take communion, and I know we did it in a little bit of a different way today, encouraging you guys to, you know, if you're, if you're with people, to join together and take communion. And then there's a reason that I wanted to do that today, um, because that passage we read in Luke where Jesus, you know, takes the bread and he takes the wine and he, and he gives it to his disciples and they share in this moment together Um, I want us to remember that Jesus at this point, when he's doing this with his family, he already knows that Judas is going to betray him. He already knows that Peter is about to deny him three times. He knows that the rest of them are going to run away in fear, and he's not going to see them before he dies. And yet here he is, loving them, sharing with them, bearing their transgressions and their, and their guilt and, and everything that's going to cause them to, to not reach the potential that he believes in them. And you're going to tell me that this is just a group of 12 guys that got together occasionally and got to listen to some teaching by some guy? No, this was family that had been built years and years and years of commitment to one another, of loving on one another, joined together by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what if church looks similar? What if it was a constant journey of just learning how to bear with one another, just like we read back in Romans, just like we see modeled by Jesus's life? After that first communion, Jesus is betrayed and he's sentenced to be crucified. And I wanna read something that happens right at the end of Jesus's life on earth. He's on the cross and it's in John 19, starting in verse 25, that says this, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which this disciple was the guy that wrote this book, it was his disciple, John. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And wow, there's so much that I wanna say on this. There's so much that we could dig in on this, but I read a commentary that just summed up so incredibly challenging and convicting, but I want to read it for you guys as well. It's a little bit longer, so stick with me. It says this, there can be no stronger testimony as to the importance of faith over all other worldly considerations than this decision of our Lord. In our own scale of priorities, some of us would put family first in such situations. 
because Jesus' brothers are still alive at this point. Like there were other people that Mary could have been taken care of by. And others would consider the material aspects, like who's going to provide best for her? John wasn't family. John was poor and no doubt poorer than Jesus' brother because John had been unemployed in the worldly sense for the past three years, living off donations along with Jesus and the other 12. Our Lord was clearly more concerned with his mother's spiritual welfare than with either family considerations or economic welfare. And letting his brothers take care of her would have been better on both these other two accounts. For our Lord was concerned that his mother continue in an environment of faith, her eternal life and spiritual growth being even more important to him than her physical life and financial security. If we really love someone, we should live by this example and put their spiritual welfare ahead of all other considerations. For even if we see to it that they are happy, healthy, and know no financial want, if they are suffering spiritually because of our focus on these other issues, far subordinate in God's eyes to maintaining healthy faith, growing in the truth, drawing closer to him and his son, then we have made a poor bargain indeed. I worry. I worry that we... Uh, neglect the family of God because of all of these other issues, that we miss out on seeing exactly what he's talking about, the spiritual growth, the development, the strengthening, the drawing closer to God, all of that provided by the family of God because we're too concerned with how hard it seems to be to actually live that out. But if we look at Jesus and if we see how he forgave and how he loved and how he treated his family and his spiritual family in his life, we see this incredible example. And some people today, and I want to address this too, I know some people think that Jesus might have been a jerk to his family. It can seem like that. I don't believe that's actually true. And the reason for that is actually Jesus's brothers. Because if anyone had like the, the resentment built up, it would have been them, I assume. Because here's your oldest brother. Not only does he like just kind of leave you all the time, um, but then he gives your mom, not to you, which it would have been your right to take care of your mother, but he hands her off to this guy that he's been doing life with for the past three years. And, and to me personally, like, I feel like that would cause a ton of resentment in families. You see it all the time when you, when you treat other people as family and your own family feels neglected. But here in this, I, I, I don't feel like that was the case because eventually they did become Christians. And these were two guys that never believed in their brother when he was alive on earth, but through his death, through his resurrection, they came to know him and actually wrote a book in the Bible each because of him. And so I think, and this might just be conjecture, but I think they came to a point where they understood why Jesus took his spiritual family so seriously. The last couple of verses of our main scripture says this, that we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So what do we need to know about God's family? That we are God's family, that Christ is our example. And then number three is this, we are now his temple. We are now his temple. So if you don't know, the temple was a unifying institution for the Israelites in the Old Testament. I mean, this was thought to be one of the most sacred places on earth. If you ask an Israelite, it was the most sacred place on earth because somehow, some way, it was at the temple where heaven and earth would meet. 
And while the Bible talks to us about being the temple of God individually, there's some verses in the New Testament that say that you have become the temple of God, that your body is a temple made fit for the Lord. It's in this passage that it speaks of us being his temple collectively. And I love, this is my favorite part of the the whole passage. Paul described us as a temple still under construction, so to speak. Our translation says becoming a temple, but other translations say that we are still being fitted together or that we are still growing, that our foundation is secure, right? We read about that in the previous verses, that the apostles and the prophets, they've laid the foundation for us and that Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the one holding all of this together, but the remainder of God's temple is still being built together, that we are still becoming And I don't know about you, but I found this to be so comforting because I look at the church today, I look around us, I'm sure you can too, and you realize that we do not have it all figured out yet. We are definitely a work under progress as we strive to be united in Christ. And that's honestly, that's what this entire message is in a nutshell, working towards family, striving towards unity, learning how to love one another completely. But the Bible confirms that God who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And the temple will be completed. And together, as God's people, we will be that perfected temple. And so why is this important? Why why do we want to end here at the temple? We need to understand what the temple did. The temple in the Old Testament was a place of worship for the Israelites. It was a place where all of these sacrifices would take place for their sins It was a place of prayer, and it was a place of teaching God's word. And what's so cool about this is because what Paul is saying here is when we believe in Christ, when when Jesus has reconciled us to God, that he is building us, you and me, each other, into that place for him. Meaning that part of our responsibility as a family, what we need to know is that our lives should reflect the aspects of the temple. And I don't, that, that means that when we're together, that our lives should reflect worship to God. And a lot of people take that as just like singing when we, when we have worship and everyone's singing gospel, but that's it's more than that. It should be that, yes, but it can't stop at that point. First Corinthians says that whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Meaning regardless of the situation, regardless of what you're doing, whenever you come together, you have the opportunity to reflect worship. That together we're going to be a place for sacrifice. And no, I'm not talking about animal sacrifice, which is what happened in the Old Testament, that's done with, but personal sacrifice, laying down our rights for one another, putting others ahead of ourselves, learning that Christ-like love where we get to meet one another's needs regardless of the time or effort that it takes. We are a place of prayer. And maybe some of you got to experience that during communion, that you got to come together and pray and thank God for the sacrifices that he has given us in this life. But we also have the opportunity to bring our needs and cares and transgressions and hurts and woes before God. And when we are together, we get to help one another carry those to the foot of the cross, carry those to the foot of his throne. And when we're together, there's gonna be teaching of God's word. It's happening right now. It happens every Sunday when you come to church, but it shouldn't stop there. That's where it starts. 
something super easy to do, something that you know not everyone can get together every day and read your Bible out loud and talk about whatever it is that you just read. Something that I've been encouraged with that I encourage others to do and is super easy is to invite somebody to a devotional through that YouVersion Bible app. Choose any of the devotions that they have for you guys, and you can literally just send a text to somebody of inviting them to join you. And then every day you get to read the devotional, the passages, and then there's just a spot for you guys to respond to each other of like, man, God was saying this to me. Man, I want to pray about this. Man, what do you think about this? Or what does this do for you? And the best part is you get to hold each other accountable to it. And that's sometimes, I mean, the fact that, you know, somebody else is doing this with you, sometimes it's a help and sometimes it's a hurt because you realize how much you suck sometimes. Um, and that's, maybe that's just me. I, I'm being honest today. In the Old Testament, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It's where he said, I'm going to make my presence known to you. This, this is where I will be with you. And today, it's not a building where you find God. It's not Element Church. It's not any church. It's when you and I are together. It's in our unity. It's in our family, our togetherness. And that's when God's presence is made known. So I know this is a lot. And honestly, there was so much more that I wanted to talk to you guys about today. I wanted to talk about how hard it is to open ourselves up to others. I, I wanted to talk about how difficult it is to be vulnerable with people, especially people who have hurt you in the past. And like I said, I've been doing this for a year. That's, that's like nothing. I'm still learning. I don't have this all figured out. I make mistakes every day. But I'll just tell you that it has been the most life-giving, fulfilling, incredible journey that I've ever experienced. So I wanna leave us with a couple of practical steps. And we talked about all of these throughout the sermon, but I know it was a lot. So I just wanna circle back real fast and give you guys some ways that, man, if you you wanna be a part of this, there are ways to do so. First one is to join a small group. Um, we, we are a very big church. You cannot invite everybody in our church to your home. I don't think anybody could do that. But there are ways to be connected to church family. And it can start in a small group. Um, and I'm up here, so I get to promote my own small group very selfishly. Uh, it starts today, and it's actually specifically for students, grades 7th through 12th grade, uh, that come to church on Sunday, that maybe listen to the sermon, I hope, Um, but don't know what to do with it, which is most of our students. And so every Sunday from 1230 to two o'clock, I'm gonna meet with students, uh, me and another leader in the living room, and we're gonna take whatever was preached on on Sunday, and we're gonna apply it directly to students' lives. We're gonna find ways to make what we preach, which the majority of us up here are not preaching to a 14-year-old, we're preaching to like a 34-year-old, but we're gonna find ways to take whatever is said and apply it to a 14-year-old, to apply it to that eighth grader, to apply it to that 11th grader, whatever that looks like. But more than that, we're going to build family. The second way, and I know not everyone can join a small group, regardless of how many options we give you, regardless of the times and the the, the opportunities, not everyone is going to make it happen. And I get that. So another way you can do this is to volunteer here at the church. And even if it's not here at the church, volunteer somewhere. Create that family through that way. Join a volunteer team and decide for yourself that this is what it's gonna look like for me, that I'm not doing this just to mark off another box that I need to check throughout my week, that I want this to be more than that. Going along with that, that means that you need to plan things outside of church to be a part of each other's lives. Family dinners, that includes more than just your family. 
coffee dates, group vacations, just do life together. I know it's different. And I know at times it's uncomfortable and, and unnatural for most of us, but it's worth it. And the very last thing, it's very practical that I wanna leave you guys with is this, don't give up. It's not easy to be willing to forgive, to be willing to keep trying, to continue learning, to continue being let down. It's tough. But um, man, if God's gonna start the work in us, he'll be faithful to complete it as well. So what if this year your family grew? What if this year we stopped acting like our family is our only family? What if this year we took seriously what it means to call ourselves Christians, that it's not just a commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. Don't get me wrong. That's literally the cornerstone. Like that is the most important thing. And if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know him as Lord of your life, please come find me in the lobby. Stop by the Purple Tents and just talk to somebody about who this guy Jesus is and this family that he wants you to be a part of. But that's just it. It's not just a commitment to him. It's a commitment to each and every one of you. It's commitment to each other to the family of God. So thank you guys so much for letting me preach to you today. Let me pray for you and then just remain seated for just a couple moments. I have a couple closing remarks. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for never giving up on us. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus as a model for us. Lord, one we can look to and, and hope to pursue and strive to be like. God, I pray over each and every one of us, those, those who have families, those who don't have families, Lord, those who have been hurt by family, and yet you call us together. And it's impossible to do except through you. So Holy Spirit, this year, I'm asking for your power to bring us together, to unite us, to truly live out what it means to be the family of God. Lord, be with us as, uh, as we go throughout this brand new year. God, protect us in the storms. Give us hope in the darkness. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, God, just draw us closer to you. It's where we want to be. We love you, God. We pray all this in your name. Amen.